0: everybody good? Check, 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 check. Maybe it'll come on soon. Monsoon. Check, check. Do I have the right mic? Mic check. One, two, one, two. Is that a thing? You good? Check. Good deal. How are we doing this morning? Good? Good, man. It's good to see y'all. Um, I love, I love that song, man, because there are often times in our lives where we, um, we're, we're just like at a loss as to what to, to say, yes, to say to the Lord or what to, to bring to him, right, um, in a prayer time. And so just the, the fact that we can, all we can bring is just a heart of gratitude for everything that he's done for us. I mean, we know that our words don't necessarily um, really seem to, to, to be adequate enough to, to voice our expression of gratitude to the Lord, right? Um, So I I just love how that song just says we just throw up our hands because I don't don't know what else to do. I'm just so grateful. I'm so thankful to the Lord for for all that he's done. Um, um, I'm grateful for all that the Lord is doing in and through our church um, in this place. Um, God is just so good. He's so gracious and he's so merciful to us um, in every single way. Um, so, uh, Pastor Brett kind of alluded to a little bit of what's going on. Um, we are switching our times on Wednesdays, um, the, so the Wednesday after Labor Day. Um, our Bible groups that normally meet on Wednesdays, they're going to be moved to Sunday mornings at 9.15 with the rest of the Bible groups. So, all Bible groups will be meeting at the same time on Sunday morning at, um, at 9.15. So, we'll have actually kids, um, students, Adults all going um, through the same curriculum and learning the same thing at the same time on Sunday mornings. One thing that I think that does is it meets the need of people that have families. Um, If you have a a child at every age group and every level, you can say, okay, our whole family can come and we can all learn at the same time. Um, and don't have staggering times throughout the week, um, and and our childcare, um, and our kids can be learning the same thing. Our students can be learning the same things that we can do that that we are. So if you a visitor comes into the church, they can they can see, hey, this is a place where our our whole family can come together and we can worship and learn at the same time together. Um, but on Wednesday nights, we're gonna repurpose our Wednesday nights to like an equip type of night where we equip. Um, believers to live out their faith. So two classes that we're going to be providing are um, a class on spiritual disciplines. Um, So things like prayer and fasting and worship and how to read the Bible, study the word and those kind of things. And then also we're going to have a a, a class on evangelism. So um, I'm not someone who likes to come up and preach and say, you should share the gospel. And you say, well, how? And say, well, just feel guilty about not doing it, right? We want to be a church that um, equips you to be able to do that. Um, and not, not um, every tool is kind of a silver bullet to where you'll just be like, a, you know, a, someone who shares the gospel everywhere you go. But you'll at least feel a little more equipped to be able to start a conversation about why you believe the things that you believe. And also, a lot of times, our faith and our walk with Jesus grows stagnant, Right? We're not developing into more Christ-likeness, and so um, part of that is growing in spiritual disciplines, so reading our Bible, and, and but oftentimes we don't know how or why we do that, so that's what two of those classes um, are going to provide for us, and so I'm really, really excited about the opportunity for us to be able to grow in Christ-likeness together through evangelism and also through our spiritual disciplines here. Um, also, one, one other thing, um, you, you probably noticed that Pastor, or, um, that Pastor uh, Spencer um, wasn't leading, but Tony stepped in for us today. Um, yep, Pastor, Pastor Spencer is taking a little break for just a few weeks. Um, he called me this week, and we talked, and it um, just feels like the Holy Spirit is, is doing something in his life, and so he's trying to follow in obedience to that. Um, and wants to take a step, um, a, a step aside for just a, a few weeks, a little while, um, however long he feels the discernment of the Holy Spirit to lead him to do that, to focus on his relationship with Jesus and his family. And so, um, of course, that was welcomed, and I believe it's proof that God is doing something in and through his life that he's being obedient to the Holy Spirit and doing that. Um, so as soon as he's ready, he feels the discernment of the Holy Spirit. He's going to come back and he's going to lead worship uh, with us. But uh, for the next few weeks, we're going to have um, kind of a rotation of people leading us in worship. And so we're really excited. Um, really excited for him, uh, for his family and, and all that. We love them so much. I'm so thankful for the leadership of this church. Um, we had a leadership meeting uh, last week and where we, where we got to just think and plan and grow we spent a good time of worship together we spent a good time of prayer together um, and so the Lord is just doing incredible things in our lives here at, a ch- at this church and so if you're visiting here and you're like man is this the place where I, I want to get plugged in? Um, I hope that you consider that if the spirit leads you to join this church, I hope that you would consider uh, joining Arlington Baptist Church as we as we just seek the Lord as we want to be a church that worships him, and Praise and and follows in the obedience of the Holy Spirit. So, um, y'all ready to get into the word? Yeah, y'all ready? Good, good, good. Um, so, we are actually in a series called "Pray the Pray the Psalms," um, where we're learning how to walk through um, the Psalms and turn these Psalms that we're reading into prayers. So, uh, we what was today? Day twenty eight was it day twenty eight or was it day twenty nine? Um, it's either day 28 or 29, so we're 50 days we're walking through the book of Psalms where we um, are, are just walking through, we're praying, we're reading the scriptures together as a faith family. And I'm so thankful for the encouragement of people that send emails and text messages, um, just what the Lord is doing in and through your lives through those. And if you want to participate, be sure to fill out one of those Connect cards and, and put your email address in there. Um, that way we can um, include you in the email um, address and so you can get those Psalms every morning because uh, I send out, like, a devotion every morning. And so um, we're, we're over halfway through, and I just believe that God has got more incredible things in and for our lives. Um, but we're in a sermon series called Pray the Psalms, right? So this week we're going to look at what it means to um, have a psalm or a heart of thanksgiving, a heart of gratitude. And so um, we're going to be in Psalm 118. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Psalm 118, I encourage you to bring your Bible um, so you can look at the text so you can see it. Um, so you can be in it. But we'll have the screen uh, we'll have the, the text on the screen for you if you need it, or you can turn on your lo- electronic device um, to it um, to that. But Psalm 118 is where we're going to be. And um, the main point that I want us to see in this text before we, before we dive in, the main point that I want us to see in this text is that we are called to be a people who are thankful for God's goodness and love and deliverance in our lives. So, we are called, as believers, to be a people who are thankful for God's goodness and love and deliverance in our lives. And so we're going to tease that main point out a little bit as we walk through this text. Um, so um, if I'm lying, I'm dying, right? So the Lord is good. Um, last, you ever heard that phrase, if I'm lying, I'm dying? No, just me? Okay. Maybe I was in Georgia too long. That's what it is. Um, so most nights, uh, whenever we put our kids together, my wife and I, uh, puts, put our kids to bed together, my wife and I, um, uh, when we, our, our bedtime routine is, is that Casey will go um, and put Cove down in his crib while I stay with my daughter uh, Campbell, and then we'll swap, and we'll, we'll each have a, a moment um, in time with them. Well, um, with Cove, I have this routine that, that I go through with them, Proverbs um, uh, chapter 3, verse 5-6, through six. Um, I, I quote that over him, and then I'd say a prayer over him. But ever since Campbell was born, I, I've gone through this kind of like thing where I'm like, Campbell, I love you. She's like, I love you. I say, I'm thankful for you. She goes, I'm thankful for you. I say, you're beautiful. She says, you're beautiful. Um, and so we go through this routine, and I say, you know, you know, mommy loves you. You know, Cove loves you. You know, daddy loves you. Well, this past Sunday, I've been doing this, I mean, since, since she was born. This past Sunday, um, she, she stops me and says, what does it mean to be thankful and I was like, I'm serious. Like, first off, I was so thankful that God gave me this illustration just in time for this week um, because I'd already planned to do a psalm on Thanksgiving or being a thankful people. And so she said, what does it mean to be thankful? Because I tell her I'm thankful for her every night, right? So she's like, what does that even mean? Um, so that followed through, you know, just my failure as a father. Um, just like, um, uh, have you ever thought about, like, what it means to be thankful before? I was like, um, it just means that you have a heart of gratitude. <laughs> and we just kind of sat there in silence for a minute, and I looked down at her, and her eyes just wide open, okay. I was like, do you know what it means? Do you know what gratitude means? she's like, nope. Um, so again, followed by more ums and, you know, babbling on. Um, I, I didn't exactly know how to describe what it means to be thankful, um, Right? And so um, it it was actually a challenge for me this week to say, okay, if we want to be a thankful people, what does that mean? So I kind of came up with this definition of thankfulness. Now, this is my definition. I'm not Webster's Dictionary. Just as I kind of processed through what it means to be thankful, this uh, this is what I came up with. So thankfulness is giving conscious recognition of receipt of or benefiting from Someone or something outside of ourselves. That's well, kind of a kind of a wordy definition. I probably won't use that to explain it to my seven-year-old. Um, but if you think about it, being thankful is giving a conscious recognition um, or of receipt of or benefiting from someone or something outside of ourselves. So if you think about it, thankfulness has an object from which you have to give it to, right? Um, like, you are recognizing that you are a recipient of some kind of good, right? You're recognizing that I have received something outside of myself, and I am a recipient or a beneficiary of that. And so, so what we need to recognize, as we look at this psalm, that we are beneficiaries, recipients of and totally dependent on the goodness and loving kindness of God being poured out on us, and so we are then, in response, we're thankful. We're gracious for that. Actually, the the literal word here for thankful means to throw or to cast, which is why I like that song um, that we just sang so much, because he says, I throw up my hands, which that literal word for thankfulness means to throw. Or to cast. So what we're doing is we're we're throwing a recognition up to the Lord, right? It's we're casting a thankfulness or a heart of gratitude, saying, "Listen, I'm throwing this up at you, God, because I recognize that I am a recipient of your goodness." Right. So with all that in mind, if you would stand in honor of reading God's word again, it's about another 28 uh, verses that we're gonna or 29 verses that we're gonna go through. We're gonna read this morning. So if you can't, I completely understand. Um, understand if you can't stand that long. Um, there's no judgment. Um, but the word of the Lord says this in Psalm 118. Um, he says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Y'all see why it's a Thanksgiving psalm? Psalm? Okay, good, good, good. See, I'm, I'm not a rocket scientist. I just look at the text. So, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. He says, let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. Look at verse 5. He says, out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and he set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes, or presidents, or governors, or any kind of ruler. Verse 10 says, all nations surrounded me, in the name of the Lord I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side, in the name of the Lord I cut them off. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Y'all, if you got a pen, that is an incredible verse to circle right there. Verse 19 says, Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I want you to see how there was kind of a, a cry and then an echo in there, right? It says, open to me. It's like the psalmist says, open to me the gates of the righteousness. righteousness Uh, righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks. And then somebody shouts back, this is the gate of the Lord, the righteous shall enter through it. So I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Y'all should recite that song every day. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. And he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You see how it's book-ended? First verse says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Then he ends, you are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. The last verse says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Will y'all pray with me? Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for your goodness, your mercy, your righteousness that you have imputed upon us, Lord Jesus. Every single one of us in this room are in need of the righteousness of Christ on us and so jesus we come before you in thanksgiving today not on our righteousness but on your righteousness have mercy on us lord jesus give us success lord god defeat our enemies in the name of jesus god surround us in this moment cut out every distraction every sin God be a shield that be our sword be our righteousness be our helmet of salvation Put the gospel in our mouths and in our hearts. May we be a people that loves you, that worships you, and that has a thankful heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So the first thing I want you to see—oh, I can't see. I'm sorry. The first thing that I want you to see is that um, we are called to be thankful that God is good and steadfast in love. I got that from the first, first verse and also the last two verses— The psalmist says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Then it's as if the psalmist calls out to certain peoples. He says, Let Israel say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. So the thankfulness that we are to bring to the Lord is rooted in his goodness and his steadfast love that is poured out on us. So thanksgiving is a conscious recognition right of being recipients of the goodness of God in our lives as believers the psalmist calls the reader to give thanks to God because he has, is good God is revealed to us in his word as someone who is good an attribute of the Lord a characteristic of the Lord is that he is good in Psalm 25 8 through 9 he says, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble in his way. Good and upright is the Lord. Psalm 27 verse 13 says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Psalm 31 19 says, oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and work for those who take refuge in in you and the sight of the children of mankind psalm 34 verse 8 says oh taste and see that the lord is good blessed is the man who takes refuge in him psalm 107 verse 1 says oh give thanks to the lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever psalm 119 verse 68 says you are good and you do good teach me your statutes Now listen, the majority of the texts that I looked up this week to find the attributes of the goodness of God were actually found in the Old Testament. See, oftentimes people try to pit the Old Testament God versus the New Testament Jesus against one another. But you know, there were very few, if any, that testified to the goodness of God in the New Testament every verse that I looked up had something to do with the Old Testament Yahweh, the God who they worshiped in the Old Testament, that he was good. See a lot of people think that God in the Old Testament was pity or that he was vengeful, he was wrathful, that he was childish or even self-serving. And Jesus was loving and kind and compassionate and good, right? That's how people try to portray the, the discontinuity in God's word, but it's not true. It's not there. The whole Scripture testifies, especially the Old Testament, testifies to God being a good and loving God. I was actually listening to um, a podcast this week where this self-professed atheist was talking about this very thing. He said the, the the person that he was interviewing was giving a defense of God. He was talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, and then even Jonah. And the atheist was making fun of this man who was telling talking about these Bible stories, and said. Hey, Like, he says, God is so childish and so petty, right? He's so self-centered. This is what this atheist says. He says that people who think that God is good or even worship this God, said they clearly haven't even read the Bible. And in my mind, I was thinking, man, to those who are believers, you are making yourself out to seem so ignorant because clearly you haven't read the whole Bible. Right? I'm not judging this man, but he's a self-professed atheist that is judging Christians for saying, if you believe this God is good, then you're a fool, basically is what he's saying. But they haven't, he hasn't, obviously hasn't read the Old Testament, where every, all, all the goodness of God is portrayed throughout all of Scripture, especially in the Old Testament. I'm convinced of the opposite, through God's word, that God has revealed himself as a good and loving God. See, we thank God not because of what he does for us, but because of who he is. We thank God because he is a good God. That's why we're thankful, because God is a good God, and that is how he has revealed himself to us. That's how he has has poured himself out to us, not just in scripture, but also in word and deed in our lives. There's something that is known as God's infinitude. Y'all say infinitude. Good, good. Y'all are awake. This is kind of a big word, but it's, it, it refers to God's attributes as meaning that God is infinitely what he is, right? There is, like, there is no shortness, there is no end to what he is and, wh- and who he is. So when God reveals himself as good, he is infinitely good, is, and, it, and there is no end to his goodness to us. When God reveals himself as a loving God, he is infinitely loving. It never stops. It never stops being poured out for us. God is good, and he is um, um, infinitely good to us. Now, y'all say immutability. Okay, good job. So we've got God's infinitude and God's immutability. So immutability means it's very similar, but it means that God does not change. God always is who he is, and he never changes, which means if God is good, he cannot ever be bad. There is no evil in in him. He always is what he is, and there's no variation of goodness in him. There's no hate in him. He is loving always, and there's no variation of that. He is immutable. So he's infinitely good, and he's also unchangingly good. There are no limits to God's goodness, and he never changes being good. So the psalmist says, thank God for this, for this reality that God is good. So he calls the people who fear the Lord, the house of Israel, the house of Aaron, to praise the Lord because he is good. So the psalmist is calling us today to praise the Lord because he has revealed himself to us as being a good and loving Father, steadfast means immovable. His love for you is immovable. See what's different about our culture is that we tend to see injustice and evil things in the world, and we turn—we tend to turn and blame God for those things, right? How could a good and loving God allow bad things to happen to people, right? It's like the—that's the question that people tend to think stump. Stump believers, right? But but we never want to take responsibility for the evil and the injustice that we do towards other people. See, the Bible plainly puts that we are responsible beings for the sin that we commit. The sin and the oppression in the world is always at the hands of sinful people. We oppress other people, we sin against other people even though we are sinful God never stops being good to us the reality is is we should say we should then in turn say not an accusation but an humble adoration how could a good and loving God be so good and loving to a sinful person like me that's that's where the humility starts as opposed to Turning it back on God, saying, listen, I know the sinfulness in my heart, yet God is forever good. The Bible reveals God as being a good God, so we give praise to him, we give thanks to him, we throw up our thankfulness. Sorry, that didn't sound right. We cast our thankfulness onto the Lord. We give it to him. God is calling us to meditate today on the goodness and loving kindness of the Lord. Paul actually says, this isn't on the the screen, but in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, he says, rejoice always. Give thanks in every circumstance. Pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What's God's will for you? To give thanks in every circumstance. What's God's will for your life? to be thankful for every circumstance that you experience in your life. If we are believers and we understand the goodness and the loving kindness of God, we can't help but say thank you no matter what circumstance we're walking through. Amen? So first, we, we thank God for his goodness, but then we, we thank God for deliverance from our enemies. We thank God for deliverance from our enemies. Look at verse uh, Psalm 118, verse 5 through 13 again. Verse 5 through 13. He says, out of my distress, I called to the Lord. The Lord answered, and he set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than than to trust in princes. Look at the circumstance that he's talking about in this text, right? She says, I'm thanking God because he's good, and now look what he did for me. He was my helper. He was next to me in every situation. In fact, in verse 10, he says, all nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. He say in the name of himself and his own strength and in his own might, he had victory. No, he recognizes that in the name of the Lord, in the strength of the Lord, he was able to overcome his victories. He says, in the name of the Lord, or uh, overcome his enemies. He says, in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. You get, you get that imagery? Like, you, you ever been, like, surrounded by bees before? You're trying to, to, to get away from them? It's funny when you see somebody attacked by bees far away, but you can't see the bee. You just see the person swatting at the bee. Like you're just like, man, that guy just went nuts. because He's like, just like, playing about. You don't see the bees. You just think they lost their mind? I don't think that's what the psalmist had in mind. But it gave me a good word picture there. It says, all nations surrounded me like bees, right? They surrounded me on every side in the name of the Lord, like bees. They went out and they, like fire among thorns, in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. So out of God's goodness, he delivered this psalmist from his enemies and he gave him strength to overcome him we don't know the exact circumstance that the psalmist is walking through here but it's clear that he was facing real life enemies that he needed deliverance from says that he was surrounded by nations that wanted to destroy him but he called on the name of the lord and in the name of the lord he fought those off and the lord answered him right can we give thanks to the lord that he is in a prayer answering god that he will and that he can give us victory over our enemies. It says that he called on the Lord, and the Lord answered and set him free. God may be calling you today to, to call on him to set you free from your enemies. We don't even know if this was immediate over a period of time, but the psalmist over and over again testifies to the fact that God answers our prayers, and he delivers us from, his, from our enemies, and he sets us free. Sometimes I don't think that we realize the extent about which God is surrounding us and pre- protecting us. So sometimes we don't, oftentimes our enemies aren't literal physical enemies, right? In fact, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, I've talked about this before in in, in past sermons, but we don't, and Paul says, we don't struggle against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, which which is saying that, like, our battle isn't with flesh and blood, it's with with the spiritual forces, right, the evil spiritual forces that are in the heavenly realm. Like, we are such a, a physical people that say, if I don't see it, I don't believe it, but the reality is, is that there's a spiritual battle that is going on around every single one of us. And... The devil might try to get you to take it out on a person, but the reality is that there's something something in the other person, some spiritual battle that they're going through as well. It's your, the person isn't your enemy. Satan is your enemy. But we face a spiritual enemy. I'm reminded of a time in the Bible where the prophet Elijah, um, he, he was a prophet um, to the king of Israel, and um, at, at one point, um, it was the king of Syria um, that, um, that, that was their enemy. And it was like every time um, the, the Syrian king um, wanted to attack Israel, God would give Elijah a, Elisha a vision of what was going on, right? And um, he would tell the king of Israel in order to warn the king of Israel not to go to certain places so that, so that um, they wouldn't lose the battle, so that they would be prepared, right? And so in 2 Kings, verse 6, 8 through 19, we're going to walk through this text really quick just to show what I mean. We're, we're, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an example of what it means that we aren't necessarily just in a physical war. We're in a spiritual war, right? And that we don't see it, but we need to ask God to open our eyes to see the spiritual reality that's all around us. 2 Kings 6, 8 through 19, it says, Once when the king of Syria was waging war against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, that such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God, Elijah, sent word to the king of Israel. He said, beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. You see what they're saying? King of Syria was like, I'm going to go attack them. But Elijah told the king of Israel and said, don't go down here because the, the Syrians are going to attack you. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. He says, thus he, wa- he, used, um, he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. Verse 11 says, and the mind of the of the king of As, of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send send and seize him. It was told to him, Behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city, meaning Dothan, right? Verse 15 said, When the servant of the man of God, Elisha, rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Verse 16 says, Elisha said to him, Do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike the people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. So get this picture right. The, the king of Syria is like, all right. How does the king of Israel know every time I'm going to try to attack uh, the king of Israel? The king of Syria know every time. Um, uh, how does the king of Israel know every time I'm going to attack him? Right. And so they say this man Elijah. He's a prophet. He knows what you're doing in your bedroom. He's telling the king of um, He's telling uh, the king of Israel everything that you're doing in private. And so he says, well, go get him. Right. So Elijah and his servant they're in They're in a room. Um, in a house, and the servant wakes up in the morning, and he sees that they're surrounded, right? And so Elijah wakes up, and he's like, chill out, bro. He's like, there's more with us than there are with them, right? And so the servant would be like, what are you talking about? It's just two of us, and we're surrounded by chariots, right? And so then Elijah prays, and he says, God, would you open his eyes so that he can see who's around him? And so the, the servant's eyes are open, and he sees chariots all around those who are surrounding them. He gave them, God gave them eyes to see that there was, like, the, the army that was with them is so far greater than who was against them, right? And my prayer is, is that we could see, as a people of God, that God is surrounding us more than we could ever even imagine and start looking for times where we say, man, this is God's hand in my life protecting us. Like, the fact that we don't do that is that we take for granted God's hand on our lives and protecting us from certain things. If we're not thankful every day for the life that God gives us and the protection in our lives from sin, from accidents, from all kinds of things, then we're not we're not understanding that God is surrounding us. I'll give you an example of this, and I'm not like, I say this as, as loosely as I can. I'm cautiously optimistic about miracles in this world, okay? Um, but I believe that God can. And there was one instance, man, it, it, it was just the, the most real thing that's ever happened in mine and Casey's life. It was just incredible. We were actually here in Jacksonville and we were on vacation. We were staying in in an Airbnb and uh, we were in our bed asleep. And if you don't know, our our daughter Collins, uh, our second daughter, she um, has seizures. Um, Or she had seizures she's on medication she's doing really well but but at the time she was like she was getting seizures and what would happen is when she would have a seizure she would um, she would throw up everything that she had eaten she's on a g-tube so everything that we put in her stomach the the night before and then like she would just since she's not able to move or be mobile she would just lay in that and then she would start suffocating on it and so many times she's had to go to um, we've had to take her to the ER and she's been intubated and they've had to do all kinds of things to be able to get her back to, to baseline um, Well one night we're, we were staying in Jacksonville. We were living in Georgia at the time um, Casey and I we were dead asleep um, Campbell and Collins they were in the other room next to us. We didn't have Cove yet and Dead asleep and all of a sudden our, our alarm on our car goes off just start talking bah, 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 Maybe like two o'clock in the morning starts going off so I, I, I jump up, I look out, I look out the window and there's nothing and no one around our car, our van. So I'm looking out there and I'm just like, man, what's, like, what's, what's going on? So I go to lay back down. We had a monitor, a video monitor in um, Collins' room. We always have it faced on her um, so that we can see how she's doing. Well, I look in the monitor. And I hear, like, this gurgling sound, and it looks like there's just a pool of dark around her. It's black and white. You know, it's got night vision on those on those monitors. But I was like, oh, no, what's going on, you know? So I jump up, and I go in there, and Collins had seized, and she was just suffocating in that, in that throw-up. Now, listen. That car alarm had never gone off before, and it never went off by itself any other time. But it went off in that moment so that we could wake up and we could see that our daughter was suffocating. That, from that point on, I was like, God's got this girl. He loves her so much more than we ever, like, a piece just overwhelmed us from that point on that, like, God's got us. And sometimes he gives us a glimpse of those kind of things. And we've got to be a people that are so thankful that there is so much, God is so much more for us. He is God. we just have to pray that God would open our eyes to see the reality of this truth around us. He continues in 6, verse 16, he says, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear, what can man do to me? Verse 8, he says, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. What the psalmist is doing, just saying, listen, if God is for you, who can be against you? Romans 8, verse 31 says that very thing. Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is on our side, then what can man do to us? What shall we fear? What are we to fear if God is for us? He says, I will not be afraid because I know that God is for me, that he's not against me. We should be a people that is so thankful and understand that man... There's nothing that this world can do to us or take from us that is not in the hand of God. Even in death, we can rejoice because God has the victory for those who are believers. So we don't even fear death, what man can do to us. That's why the New Testament church, people were not afraid to be martyred for their faith. Because they said, this is not the end for me. To live is Christ, to die is gain, Paul says. It doesn't matter. No matter what people try to do to me, I know that God is for me. But that doesn't mean that we live passively, right? That doesn't mean, okay, God's for me. I just, you know, I just kind of float about my Christian life. No, what does he say? He says that he engaged his enemy. In the, in the name of the Lord, he says, he cut off his enemies. So he prayed to the Lord, and then he got to fighting, right? He didn't sit passively and say, God's going to take care of it, God's got it. Yeah, God does have it, but he also calls us to be engaged in the battle, in the fight. The victory in the end is his, but we also have to wake up daily and decide to fight. We cannot be passive Christians. I know I've said this over and over, but we can't be. Arlington Baptist Church will not be filled with people who passively just say, like, I'm just living my Christian life, it's all good. No, we want to be engaged in the war and not be afraid. We want to take the gospel to people because we're not afraid of their rejection. We're not afraid of being turned down. We're not afraid of what, what can man do to us if God is for us. What do you to do, be laughed at us? That's fine. That's fine. What can man do to us? And this is a regular pattern that we see all throughout the Psalms, Right? Or it's a call to praise, a call to give thanks, a call to trust because of what we're. Walk, because of what we're walking through, we either have confidence that God will get us through, or we, have, we, we see that God has gotten us through, right? Our past circumstances that God has delivered us from reminds us in the midst of the circumstances that God will have victory in our lives. It's not the end, but we have to get in the fight. First thing I want you to or the third thing I want you to see is that we are thankful for deliverance through discipline. We are thankful for deliverance through discipline. Verse 17 and 18 says, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. Verse 18 says, the Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. I want you to recognize, this is very important. Everybody lean in of what the psalmist says here, I want you to recognize that the psalmist credits the distress that he's walking through to the Lord. Now, this is a hard concept for us to follow, that God would allow any kind of distress to happen to us. But he says that the Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Now we tend to think that um, that discipline, we think of that in a um, in a negative way, right? Like you do a bad thing, you get a spanking from God, right? But that's not the that's not the the tense or the, the effect that the, the the psalmist is saying. He's saying, God has taught me. It's a discipline in the sense of an instruction, right? He's taught us something. So we 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 tend to use this this phrase in like the the field of academics, right? A, a discipline is a field of study, right? So it's like um, your, your doctor has a discipline in medicine, right? You're, you're, um, you're you know, I'm, I'm working on my doctorate in ministry. My discipline is, is ministry, right? If you're a mathematician, your discipline is math or, or language. That's your discipline. And that's the tense or the, the weight of the word is that, that God has taught me, right, God has used this distress in my life to teach me something, right? The Bible tells us on mul- multiple occasions that the Lord disciplines us as his children, right? Look at Proverbs verse 3, verse 12. Proverbs verse 3, th- uh, verse 12, it says, For the Lord reproves, or disciplines, some translations might say, him whom he loves as the Father, the Son in whom he delights right because the lord delights in you as a son or a daughter he reproves or he disciplines you look at hebrews chapter 12 verse 5 through 11 it says and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons my son do not regard lightly the discipline of the lord nor be weary when reproved by him verse 6 says for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises, chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. You see what, the, what he's saying? He's saying if you haven't received the discipline of the Lord, the chances are that you're not a child of God. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and and we respected them, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, talking about God, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. What the author of Hebrews is telling us is that as a good and loving father, he disciplines us in order to produce something in us. Just as we, as we discipline our children, we are looking at the long game as to who we want them to be as followers of Jesus, as citizens in this world. We have a picture of what we want them to be, how we want them to to function, in this culture as followers of Jesus and so we discipline them we teach them the difference between right and wrong things that will harm them things that are not good for them we try to block them or we try to put a hedge around them so that they will not experience these things so that they understand so that we will shape them and mold them into the person that they want the same way God is doing to us as he disciplines us is because he's, one, he's shaping in us something and that is Jesus He wants us to be more and more Christ-like until the day Christ returns. And so through the discipline, the instruction, the teaching of the Lord, he is shaping and molding us. It might hurt for a season, but in the end, it's for our good, right? I've never spanked my son, Cove, and him turn around and say, thank you. Now he's asked for another one, which I think is weird. But he's never thanked me for it, right? But that's because in his two-year-old mind, he doesn't understand what I'm doing. And us as finite beings, sometimes we don't get a glimpse of what the infinite Father is trying to do in our lives. And so even when we're experiencing discipline in our lives, we have to turn and say, thank you, Lord. And then just ask, what, are you, what is it that you are shaping in me? What are you molding in my life? The goal of our lives as believers is to be more Christ-like. Look, the psalmist is thankful that he faced these enemies. He wasn't mad at God for taking him through it. He was thankful, and it strengthened his faith, and it called him to call other believers at the end of the psalm. He calls other peoples to thank God for who he is. As we walk through the season of discipline or hardship, and man, it's, it's hard at the time, we can... We can call other people to praise and to thank the Lord for his goodness, for disciplining us, because we know that the Lord is good, and he's not doing something out of a bad character, but out of his goodness towards us and his loving kindness. Even what the enemy means for evil, God will use it for your good. This comes straight out of Genesis 50:20. In fact, Casey sent me, there's a song that says, um, you took what the enemy meant for evil and you turned it for our good. Genesis 50-20, Joseph says this very thing. His brothers had sold him into slavery. They tried to tried to, tried to get rid of him, but God used that as an opportunity to, to promote him to being the right hand of the Pharaoh. And at the end, after he's facing his brothers who sold him into slavery, he says, ah, don't worry, it's okay. What you meant for evil... God used for good. And we can say that to our enemy, right? Like, I see what you're trying to do in my life, devil. I see what you're trying to do. But what you're trying to do, God is going to use for your, for your glory and for my good. And that's how we fight. So I'm not going to fear you, enemy. Like, whatever you have for me, God's going to use it for my, for my good and for his glory. Listen, I know it's hard. Discipline is hard. Son, daughter of God, it's hard. But he's good. And he's going to do something in your life through it. So we thank God for the discipline of the Lord. The last thing I want you to see is that we're thankful for deliverance through Christ. We're thankful for deliverance through Christ. Ultimately, this psalm is a psalm of thanksgiving, which is celebrating the victory of the king, right? And his people embattled and then it's accompanied by a parade or a procession to the temple to praise the Lord for his never-ending love and deliverance, it's, a, it, its long shadow finds its climactic meaning and fulfillment in the passion of the Christ. When Jesus, the king, in his triumphal entry, when he's going on a donkey, this is what this psalm points to. Did you hear some of those same texts being echoed when you think about the triumphal in- entry? When Jesus goes in on a donkey, and they shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, right? This is what this text is being quoted at most in those, in those chapters on the triumphal entry of the Lord. When the, when the psalmist says, open to me the gates of righteousness, verse 19, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. He says, this is the gate of the Lord, the righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and become my salvation. Verse 22 says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He says, the Lord, um, this is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray and give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifices with cords up to the horns of the altar. We have to be thankful that God had a perfect plan of salvation, that even in this psalm, we see the fulfillment of Christ, who was the true king, the true righteousness, the true gate that we enter through. When he says, let the righteous enter, we as believers, we have the righteousness of Christ that is imputed upon us. He says, open to me the gates of the, of, of the righteous, the book of John, Jesus says, I am the gate that the sheep enter through, right? Jesus is the gate, and it's his righteousness that he clothes on us. It's not our doing good. It's Christ's righteousness that covers us. Even though we will fail, even though we will sin, Christ's righteousness covers us. And that is what we give thanks for. It's not that I'm a good person, that I fought hard even. No, but it's that Christ has the victory, and now his victory and his righteousness now is imputed upon us. That's the gospel. It's not do good, try harder. It's Christ did, and he finished, and his is the victory. Now I stand in that righteousness. It's his righteousness that allows us to enter through the gate when jesus calls and he calls us into his presence it's through him that we enter into the presence of god it's because of his righteousness that clothes us clothes us but also jesus is the gate he's the gate but he's also the stone right jesus is the cornerstone it says the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone Y'all know what a cornerstone is? Is that, is that, did I send that picture to you? Okay, y'all see it on the screen? Okay, I just wanna make sure I was responsible this week. So the, this is a picture of a cornerstone. So in masonry, you have to start with a stone, right? You know what masonry, masonry is when you build with, um, when you build with bricks or cinder blocks or something, you have to lay the first stone, right? typically that stone is what is known as the cornerstone. Um, now in a lot of buildings and especially like older buildings you can go like something like this. The The cornerstone is kind of a memorial. They'll put like a plaque on it say saying memory of someone this cornerstone or this building is built upon and then they'll say have like some kind of phrase or saying or something like that. But the importance of the cornerstone sets the trajectory of the rest of the stones. It's it's the example stone, right? It's the example and the line by which all the other stones are supposed to be laid according to. If the cornerstone is off, the rest of the building will be off. So Jesus is the cornerstone. He says in Matthew chapter 21, verse 33 through 34, he says, Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and he put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to, uh, to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent another, he sent, um, he sent other servants more than the first and they did the same thing to them. Finally, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son but when the tenants saw the son they said to themselves this is the heir come let us kill him and have his inheritance and they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him when therefore the owner of the vineyard comes what will he do the, to those tenants Jesus asks they said to him he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other uh, uh, and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their season Jesus said to them have you never read the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in his eyes. You see the, the verse that Jesus just quoted? It's in the psalm that we just read. He said, therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. What Jesus is saying, he gives this example. He says, there's a man who has a vineyard, right? And he, um, he sends out servants to go and, and, and reap the fruit, right? But these thieves, they, they kill him and then it comes down to sending his son, and the thieves, they kill him too, saying, we're going to get the inheritance because we killed the son. Jesus says, this is you. God has been sending prophet after prophet after prophet to testify to the goodness of God, to testify to the coming Messiah, and you've killed every prophet. right? The Israelites are known for this. When God brings a, a, a prophet, they, they oftentimes would kill him because of the news that he would bring to them. I don't want judgment. I want, I want goodness, right? And so they would kill the prophet. And so God says, finally, I'll send my son. But what did, what did they do? They killed his son, right? Jesus says, since you rejected Jesus, right, he has now become the cornerstone upon which our faith is going to be built. He is the, he's the foundation. He's the example. He's the everything about us. He is the cornerstone. Listen, students, kids, people, our example who we live our lives by is the cornerstone. He's the foundation by which we build our lives. Jesus Christ is what we aim for. Now, we will fall short, but it's still the target by which we aim for. We want to live by the example, the cornerstone. He's the cornerstone. Sidney um, Gradenus writes this. He just shows the parallels throughout this psalm of how it um, connects to Jesus. He says, As the king was in distress and called on the Lord, so Jesus was in greater distress in Gethsemane and on the cross and called upon the Lord. As the king was surrounded by enemies who wanted to kill him, so Jesus on the cross was surrounded by enemies who were in the process of killing him. As the king tries to. Um, Testified, the Lord has pushed me severely, but He did not give me over to death. So King Jesus was being punished for the sins of the world, but was not given over to ultimate death. But He rose again. As the King was rejected by his enemies, but became the chief cornerstone. So Jesus rejected was rejected by all, sentenced to death, and became the chief cornerstone. Jesus is the direct fulfillment of this Thanksgiving song. The Thanksgiving song. He delivers us from our enemies. He disciplines, for our, uh, d- disciplines us for our good. And he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. I was talking to Casey about it this morning. She was like, you know, you excited um, about preaching this psalm. And honestly, I was like, sometimes the psalms can get a bit redundant, you know. Um, it's like, going through a hard time, I prayed, God got me through it. Going through a hard time, I prayed, God got me through it. It can seem a little bit redundant. But as we were standing there, I was thinking, man, this this psalm points us to Jesus. And if I can, if there's a day where I'm never not excited about being saved from my sin, about being forgiven and extended grace when I don't deserve it, then I don't need to stand up in this place and preach ever again. Believer, if a day goes by where we don't recognize that we have been forgiven of sin, then what are we thankful for? In spite of everything that we've done, God is good and steadfast in in love. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you, my child. His righteousness clothes us. Listen, this should lead us to a place of thanksgiving and also compassion for a lost and dying world. For those who have sinned against us, we have been extended grace, so we extend grace to others. We don't judge the lost and dying world. No, we go into it with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and say, Hey, listen, God, we have a God who we serve that had a plan of salvation for us. We are so thankful for that. May we be a people who never lose our, our gratitude for God. Will you pray with me? god you are good you are steadfast in love god your mercy endures forever and we thank you god we thank you as a people we collectively say thank you god for your goodness and grace to us I pray for everybody that's in this room, if they're experiencing some kind of season of hardship or discipline, that they would still find in themselves the strength to say thank you. God, if there's anybody that's in this room that's fighting their enemy, whatever that might be, Lord, I pray that they would still have an opportunity to say thank you, to be gracious to the Lord because he is good. God, if there's anybody in this room that can't find anything in this life to be thankful for, God, I pray that you would pull on their hearts to surrender their life to Jesus so that they can live a life of thanksgiving for the cross. Pray all these things in the powerful, holy.